Hi friends, I'm Dr. Cindy Leibert. And I'm Brooke Jack. We are your hosts of the Joy Prescription Podcast. In this show, we interview pioneering individuals who are integrating faith into their work and their spheres of influence in their respective fields of healthcare, coaching, psychology, and ministry. We dialogue at the intersection of lifestyle medicine, brain health, and Christianity. In each episode, our guests will share their hard-won wisdom and strategies for intentional living, spiritual growth, and health stewardship. Together, we explore God's joy prescription, how He redeems our life stories and brings us into wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. We are so glad you're here to be a part of this conversation. Let's dive into today's episode. Joy Prescription Podcast. Here you will learn the keys to build stress resilience and create a life of vibrant health. We are here to help you prevent and reverse chronic disease so that you can live your life to the fullest and walk in your God-given purpose. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Cynthia Leibert. And I'm Brooke Jack. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Joy Prescription. Today is a very special day. We have our first guest, Pastor Luke. Yay. I'm literally your first guest. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> you didn't know that. Honor. Thank you. So today we're going to continue our discussion of this topic of how to choose joy. And joy being, of course, that uh, high level emotion and experience that we have in God, but also as our acrostic that we're using as a teaching tool. So we've talked about the J, which is just being still, breathing, being still before God. O is opening our hearts to what God has for us and why is our topic today. The why is saying yes to God and specifically wanted to talk about the question that Jesus has for all of us is, do we want to be well and saying yes to all the good he has for us, all the healing, the abundant life he promises um, and just wholeness in him. So Brooke, I'd love for you to read John 5, 1 through 15. But first, I want to introduce our special guest, Lucas. I'm well, Lucas and Brooke are married. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure that they, so I was can... a really easy guest to get. Um, <laughs> and also a very special no. one. <laughs> Just well, a little arm so twisting. That's all it took. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you um, for having me and, and excited for what y'all are doing and what God's going to do through this podcast. And um, yeah, so really excited to be here today. Well, thanks, Lucas. And just share a little bit about your background. I know you're a pastor and of course you're married to Brooke, but yeah. share with us a little bit about your story, your journey through life and 
and uh, what what you occupy your time with now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what, I will we'll come back to what I what I would like to occupy my time with. Um, okay, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, um, a little bit about my story. So, uh, yeah, we, we've been thinking about this for the past uh, couple of weeks, and and I know that uh, your listeners are are. Um, and the podcast uh, can't be lengthy, so I'll, I'll keep my backstory um, to the Reader's Digest version as much as okay. possible. But nonetheless, um, yeah, so I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, 1983, which it seems for some people, they hear that and they're like, wow, that wasn't that long ago for me. I'm like, wow, this, we're, we're getting up there. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that, that seems like it's been a while ago. But my parents moved to the South in 1986, and uh, I was three years old. And so, I really grew up um, in the South, outside of Carrollton, Georgia, Carroll County, uh, Georgia. That's where Brooke and I met. Um, mm-hmm. So was there for 18 years, uh, moved here. But really, there's so many, I guess there's so many uh, transformative things that have occurred really um, since that time. And, you know, any time, I think anytime somebody makes a, a major move, it's not just a move that's changing. I mean, you really change. There's a lot of things that occur. And and for me, when we moved here in 2004 uh, to West North Carolina, I should say, for all those who are watching and listening, um, you know, for me, uh, I was 20 years old, um, taking a year off of college. Um, and really, there was just a lot of shifting, a lot of change that needed to happen. I don't think as a person, you really realize kind of how even like set in your ways, but set in your culture, you can be mm-hmm. um, at, at even a very young age. And so, you know, that was something that was a huge shift for me. And, you know, what starts out is kind of like, oh, yeah, we're moving. It's cool. It's going to be an adventure. You hit those places where you're like, this is not cool. I'm separated (laughs) from everything that I knew and loved and was familiar. um, Right. And I'm struggling in this. And even though this new place has all these opportunities, I look back and still see everything that I was connected to and realize I'm now completely disconnected because I'm not fully planted and connected in where I am now, but I'm totally disconnected from where I was. And, you know, when you have those formative years and, um, you know, for myself, I spent um, 17 years in one, in one place. Um, And, you know, the more you get to know people, the more you realize that's not, that's not necessarily the norm. I, I would say that there's so many people that do a lot of moving from place to place to place as they're growing up. For me, I kind of had that. I lived in one county for 17 years, all my formative years there. Um, But a little bit about that background. Uh, My parents were both ministers um, on the side. Um, They both had a heart for ministry. So I grew up in the church, Um, Mm -hmm. but my dad was an architect and my mom um, had a background as an EMT um, and became a writer. The Lord really called her and challenged her um, in her life. And so that was played out for my brother and I, where we saw that what God was doing in my mom's life and my dad's life was more than what they had um, thought was ahead for them. Uh, my parents were not Christians when they got uh, saved in 19, they got saved in 1974. They were not Christians when they were married, uh, but the Lord called them and they uh, really kind of drew into that call. So that was, that was, that was played out right in front of my brother and I nice. uh, growing up. And so there was, there was that place of encouragement. There was that place of example, but yet even, even within that, and I think that a lot of Christian parents maybe 
like miss this part a little bit is you can play out that example in front of your kids all day long, but they still have a choice to make. That's right. To mm-hmm. follow that example. And sometimes I think that, yeah. um, you know, Brooke and I know we've, we've counseled some youth, we've counseled uh, married couples. Um, and we often tell them, you know, sometimes um, it's, it's, they, they really are under it about a choice that maybe a child is making. And you say, you know what, it's still their choice. You've done this example, it's still their choice. Um, but nonetheless, that, that example was set before us. Um, but I grew up a wild child. I was not a, not a wild, like rebellious child. I grew up outside. That's okay. when I was a wild child. <laughs> the the wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, while ministry was always there, my dad was a, uh, was a history buff and my parents both, um, made sure to, uh, take us to wilderness places so that we could see, uh, the thumbprint of God rather than the thumbprint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, that's vitally important. And just thinking about even what you guys, um, have been talking about, like with, uh, with joy, was it just be still? Was that the uh-huh. part there? Yeah. Um, because we're so connected and we're so distracted and things like that. And so I think when you can get to a place where there's less of the thumbprint of man and more of the thumbprint of God, um, sometimes that being still comes a little bit easier. Um, and we're really blessed in this region to live in a place where it's not hard to find that place. Uh, yes, but nonetheless, <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was really instilled in us from a young age. Um, the joy in being outside, working outside. We always worked together on the weekends as a family, uh, did projects in the yard, did projects on the house, um, spent time at my grandparents' house, uh, worked in the garden a lot. Um, and and that, that just became even more intense for me where I began to pursue when I was getting ready to go to college, I wanted to work in a field that I was outside. I want to mm-hmm. be outside mm-hmm. as much as possible. And there was this, afternoon we were sitting on the back porch of our house in Whitesburg, Georgia. And, um, you know, my mom said to me, well, what do you feel called to do? Cause we were trying to figure out what I was going to do for college. And, uh, at that time I wanted to be a professional hiker. How can I get picked up by backpacker magazine to be a professional hiker? You know, um, <laughs> And, uh, but I was incredibly interested in botany and, and the forest and um, just all things wild. And, um, and so I just remember, like, I don't know what my calling is. And, and I, I want to say that because I think like in this saying yes to the Lord, um, you don't have to know always what the question is to say yes. And what mm, I have found so in my life, <laughs> it is, um, what I have found in my life in the direction the Lord is taking me is just say yes today. Mm-hmm. Like we often try to, and I did this for years and it just didn't work out. And there was always this internal anguish, right? I wish I just knew exactly what I was called to do. I wish, you know, because I was going to college, I was going to a local university. I was in a uh, forestry program. I was studying forestry and, um, but it was just kind of like, okay, aimless a little bit. Um, it had some really cool internships um, and had a really good job. I was working in, in an outdoor, I was working as an environmental, for an environmental consulting firm in Atlanta. And uh, that was wonderful. Um, but yet there was still that thing of, well, where am I going? What am mm-hmm. I, what am I doing with this? And um, shortly before Brooke and I met, 
uh, just kind of had those series of just like, I think bad college relationships and was always trying to find, to find definition and meaning through relationships, which um, can be dangerous. Um, that's not where our first identity needs to be. Our first identity always needs to be in our relationship with, with, with Jesus, um, with the Father, the Holy Spirit, and knowing who we are. And I just kind of, that was my first time to just kind of say yes to the Lord. I was a believer. Um, I came to the Lord young and I rededicated my life to Christ when I was uh, 15 years old. Um, now I'm, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I'm, I'm like, I don't even really know what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to be doing. But I knew that I just said to the Lord, how about Lord, I stop pursuing relationships and it just be me and you for a year and really try to figure out who I am, what our relationship is about, what I'm supposed to be doing for you. Um, and I got a clear answer on that. The answer was just simply, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been trying to get that out of you. Uh, sometimes the Lord speaks to me a little bit sarcastically. It's a kind sarcasm, but it's probably the Midwestern side of our family <laughs> coming out. But, you know, I just took that year off and just, you know, I wouldn't say that I came out of this with some uh, big, like theological and spiritual revolution in my life, but I came out with a greater level of certainty. I, now I knew that I was on the right course as far as college is concerned. Now I felt like that if I were good to go into another relationship, that I would be more grounded in, in who I am and, and not just settling for things. And yeah, I mean, I even dealt with a lot of, I dealt with a lot of rejection growing up, um, just personally, some depression in high school, um, had kind of put that aside. I know everybody deals with depression differently. I came to a point in my life, um, right before this one year, um, where I just decided and that, um, no, this is me. I'm just saying this for me. I'm definitely not putting this out here as a psychological anything, but no one likes to be around somebody that's depressed. That's what I told myself. Mm -hmm. Who who wants to be around that type of person? And I realized that for me, what I had become depressed over was in was totally self. It was a self thing. It wasn't because I had a awful childhood. It wasn't because I had like traumas that other people that we see today experience that are horrific. And you can see how that leads into other areas. But like, for me, it was just a lot of bad personal decisions and like saying, this has been my personal decision. Um, and this is how I got here. And so, um, just coming out of that, but still wanting to find acceptance in relationships, wanting to find acceptance, um, in people instead of finding acceptance in my identity in Christ. So that year was transformative because then I got my head screwed on straight and met my wife. Well, there you go. Um, you know, I was like, Hey, I remember this girl from high school. And actually, oddly enough, it was something that throughout that period of time from about um, the time I was 17 to the time I was 20, Brooke and I had developed a relationship. We were friends and often I would confide in her about things I was struggling with. Uh, but we always just kept it at that. And, um, but the Lord was so faithful during that time um, to really uh, shape, shape me, begin to mold me. Um, and then uh, just shortly after Brooke and I started dating, uh, my parents uh, 
felt the call to move here and I felt the call to join them and support the ministry. Um, I think I was more interested in moving to the mountains and pursuing mm-hmm. that professional hiker career that I always dreamed of <laughs> um, than I was anything else. But I just knew that my my heart was here for sure. Um, so we moved here and my goodness, I feel like the last 18 years have been an absolute blur. Um, but yeah, finished my degree in forestry. I uh, was like, Lord, was that you? It turned out it totally was him. Um, finished my degree in forestry, um, spent some time working as a horticulturist at the Biltmore Estate, which was also the Lord. The Lord directed nice. me there. Uh-huh. Um, that was one of those things that when you, for, for uh, just a piece of advice for anybody that's trying to counsel their kids, is that if your child is interested in forestry, encourage them, but tell them that they're probably not going to get a job in forestry. Um, I graduated in the options where I could go work on a firefighting line out West or do nothing. And so I just went into landscaping um, and the Lord had always that been a part of our family. The Lord had incubated that in our lives. Um, it was the outdoors. It was plants. It was everything. And um, met with a, a good friend of mine who were still uh, very good friends today. And uh, so that led me to the Biltmore estate where I worked for him and worked in the historic walled garden. Um, and the Lord just, again, every time the Lord would take us into a new place, he would take us to a new place of maturity. And it wasn't just changing jobs. It was changing me. It was changing Brooke and I, it was changing our family. It always carried a spiritual implication, not just a physical or practical one. And, mm-hmm. and I would hope that people think about that, that every move you make carries some spiritual implication to it. Um, and then it was just, again, that yes, right. Just Lord, I don't know exactly. You know, some people like I feel called to be an evangelist. Well, I never feel called to be anything, but I did feel called to just be obedient to the Lord. At that time, Brooke and I had stepped into pastoral ministry. I was leading praise and worship, had been doing that for several years. This was in 2011. And the Lord just began to change us and, and grow us. So I'm being changed and, and grown spiritually while I'm growing things physically. And, uh, and then the Lord kind of had another little twist and um, had the opportunity to go to the Billy Graham Training Center, work as a supervisor and grounds maintenance there, where literally the Lord took my education, my training at Biltmore, even the training that I had um, when I lived in Georgia and worked for an environmental consultant, uh, the training that I had on my first job where I worked for a uh, turf grass company, all the landscaping stuff that i had had for 20 years, and it all culminated it working as a supervisor there. Um, I forgot to mention I had done an internship at the National Park Service um, right after high school. And uh, during that time, I was doing trail building. Well, the Lord even brought that forward because we had a catastrophic flood on the property there at the training center. We had to rebuild trails. Well, I had had training in how to build them to national park specifications. So the Lord took all those things and reconciled them together. It's those things you go, am I really being obedient to the Lord? I have no idea, but I just, (laughs) I just know this is for today. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And then, so the Lord really did that but it was kind of a jokes on me moment because while I was there, the Lord really began to pour out a lot of vision for greater ministry and increase our heart for ministry, pastoral ministry, um, and began to prepare and equip us for the next stage of life, which we're entering into now. And so 
man, yeah, it's, it's funny how we don't see. We always see in part. But then as we see what the Lord has done, we can look back and see that um, sometimes just the simple act of saying yes and not fully understanding, is that's faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that really is stepping out and, and, and just trusting that the direction. I have plans in my heart. The Bible tells me that. But as the Lord orders my steps. That's and right. so we have plans right now. Um, but we really feel like the Lord's going to order our steps. And, you know, the more that we're say yes to that and say yes to his process, it's like, there's a greater level of trust there. So, oh, wow. That was, that was a shotgun. Um, <laughs> I, well, I love the shotgun on the past. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can so clearly see and identify God's hand in your life and, and just uh, yeah. the provision and, and the fact that he did have a big, yeah. beautiful plan for your life. And, and you just had to take it step by step and say yes at each, yeah. at each moment. And even so, like with things like even hobbies that you know, the Lord puts in our, in our hearts, like those are the creative side of who we are. We shouldn't dismiss that as something that the God has put in our heart, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know as long as that hobby's, how should we say, not an immoral one, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, some uh-huh. people's hobbies may not be the Lord, but I feel like that even those things, they really help to create who we are and how we um, serve one another, how we serve each other. Um, and again, those things can have spiritual implications without being overtly spiritual. So, um, so many of the things that, that God has put in our lives, I think people, if you just take a second to recognize and say, and ask the question, Lord, did you put this in my life? How are you using it uh, for your glory? Even in the hobby um, can be really important. And uh, then you start to think about how many people have really um, kind of imparted to you. And you realize that you didn't build yourself, mm-hmm. the Lord built you. And he's put people in your life all the way along my grandfather, who was not my biological grandfather, huge influence on my life. Uh, my late father, huge influence on my life. Um, a Brooks dad, people in Brooks family um, and just people. And you realize that the Lord is a beautiful uh, composer mm-hmm. and he does a really good job putting together uh, the song of your life. And so, um, yeah, to him be the glory for that. We love it. Well, when, when I was coming up with this acrostic, the J-O-Y, uh, God brought to mind the story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda, of the man there, and wanted to just uh, maybe, Brooke, would you read that story for us? And then we can dive in and, and kind of um, look at it from the perspective of that question that Jesus answered or that he asked, do you want to be made well? And that, of course, me being a, a physician, I that's on my mind a lot, since mm. that's what my the focus of my work is, is trying to help people to become well. And just digging into that question of what, what could actually impede us from, yes. from saying yes, because it, it seems on the surface, just a, a simplistic question. Of course, of course you'd want to be well, but I think there's, there's many things that can impede 
mm-hmm. that. And I'd like yeah. to just kind of delve into that a little bit with you guys. Um, so Brooke, why don't you tell us the story of the man healed at the pool of Bethesda? All right. I'm going to read this out of uh, John five verses one through 15 says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk. But the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So much here. So Lucas, we brought you on because I'd love to hear (laughs) your perspective of this passage and and certainly Brooke, yours as well. So uh, just kind of um, give us a little bit of background about this uh, passage and and any takeaways you have, Lucas. So Oddly enough, about two years ago, I did uh, commentary on this section of scripture. Uh-huh. And I was just studying through John and I just you know, I got to John chapter five and I was like, this is really interesting. I think we need to dis- dissect this a little bit. So right out the um, pun intended, right out the gate. Um, <laughs> this is there's several little things here just for context. And we talk about um, saying yes to the goodness of God. Um Bethesda means house of loving kindness or house of mercy. Um, so already right here, this pool of Bethesda um, carries with it a great deal of meaning. Um, this is, uh, there's five porches that surround this pool, um, five being the biblical number of grace. So there's grace here. Uh, we see loving kindness and mercy involved in the name. And also that Jesus came through the sheep gate. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus would often, almost always come through this gate when he would come to Jerusalem. Um, so, and we see even throughout scripture and especially in Revelation, look, the lamb that was slain that takes away the sins of the world um, and the sin and the effects of sin. So we talk about even salvation from the background of like Soto and Soteria. Soteria, um, we're looking at a, a fullness of salvation. Jesus just didn't die 
so that we could uh, just go to heaven. Um, matter of fact, if, if you read thoroughly scripture, you see that uh, if you if you look at even Revelation, heaven eventually will descend upon the earth. Okay, so we have this idea that there's a meeting of heaven and earth, and Jesus kind of gave a prelude to this with his ministry here. Um, but nonetheless, so, Sozo and Soteria carry a, a, a picture of fullness. So wholeness, uh, peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken is part of salvation. Um, healing is part of salvation. Uh, and it, it really addresses, uh, the, the idea of salvation from the biblical sense addresses a whole person. It's not just that I'm free from sinning, but I'm also have be, I, I have the opportunity to be free from the effects of, of the fall of, of sin in my life. And so today, you know, one of the biggest things we talk about is being free from, um, there's a lot of, we talk a lot about the mental health crisis in the United States. And there's a lot of freedom ministry that's being brought up right now, because that's part of salvation is being free mm-hmm. also in our mind, um, being free in our body. So there's a lot of freedom that's involved here. So Jesus, the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world, walks through this gate and immediately there's this pool of loving mercy, a loving kindness and mercy. And there's just grace all over this moment. And one of the things that I, when I read scripture, sometimes I, I like to read as though the Lord has a sense of humor too, because Jesus asked this obvious question, right? Right. Do you want to be, do you want to be made well? It's like, if I was the guy, I'd have been like, I've been here 38 years. What do you think? <laughs> no, I just come down here and hang out on the weekends. You know, uh, no, he, he absolutely did. But he was looking for that moment that the angel would come and stir. Now, note that Jesus didn't say that that wasn't real. Jesus didn't say, ah, forget about that angel. It, 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 he didn't say anything about it. Because Jesus knew exactly who he was, in walks the healer. Jehovah Jireh, he walks the healer who can heal anytime that we, we don't have to wait for a manifestation of the miraculous or the supernatural to occur over here to have access to the healer. Um, and it's amazing how many times in scripture, you know, Jesus, Jesus's ministry always preceded him. People always knew like, here comes Jesus. I mean, remember how many times people would follow him to the point where he had to get away just reading their day, they wanted to make him king, and he knew they wanted to make him king, so he had to flee. Um, his ministry preceded him because, you know, the, the ministry of Jesus really connects with people who are in need. We're all in need. And those who see their need will connect with Jesus quickly. So I love just the yeah. context of here's the healer. He walks in. And of all, out of all of those people, there's one person he's talking to. And it's this guy who says, I don't have anybody to help. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody to help me. Now, we could talk about that a lot, but just on the surface, when I look at that and what I wrote in my notes was, how many of us consistently in our, in our walk with the Lord look to a person for help above the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. There's a moment here for us to connect with the goodness of God. And often we're like, well, but my healing is over here. We see it as it's always been this way. This is how this happens. My only hope is for this miracle is that somehow I can get in this pool before everybody else. Almost like there's this competition for healing. And I think in, even in today's society, we have this competition to 
get somebody to help us. We need help, help, help. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Scripture encourages us to bear up with each other those burdens, to confess our sins one to another, so forth and so on. But I think that those things come secondary to having a relationship with the Holy Spirit in place. The relationship with the Holy Spirit is what brings full healing, is what brings full restoration. Um, and well, yeah, sometimes the, that may take time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you're saying the wisdom, like if you're seeking the Lord for your healing first above man, he can provide that wisdom of, okay, you need to connect with this person over here, you know, like direct you to the right people instead of feeling like you're grabbing at straws, you know, so that he yes. can impart the wisdom, mm-hmm. the guidance, um, give you the encouragement and the strength. Um, cause otherwise those other yeah. things can just become kind of become yeah. idols in our lives. They can um, be, people you know? can become, people can become an idol. Like the health of a person can become an idol. It, it can be that thing that, um, that I can't achieve without this. Um, I can't gain access without this person. Um, and the Lord is saying, I'm right here. I am mm-hmm. right here. I am available. I, I am in a place is surrounded by grace. And I also love, now I, I was talking about this at church just recently, again, so funny, three weeks ago, I mentioned the scripture about how as a Southerner, um, to me, uh, just the word porch right there, there's five porches. <laughs> That's speaking my language, man. Uh, to me, it's like, because to me, when I think about like tying some of my story a little bit, is that a porch is a place of community, right? I'm not not talking in the biblical sense now. I'm just talking about in my Southernism stuff. (laughs) There was so much time spent on the porch in our family. That's where we ate together. It's where we talked. That's where we fellowshiped with another. I can remember one evening uh, having a very very heart-to-heart intimate conversations with members of my family. you know, just that it was, but there's also a place of respite or place of reprieve, a place of, a place of relaxation. And so I think about, you know, when we encounter the goodness of God and say yes to it, it ushers us actually into a place in our hearts. Well, we're, that's where we are. We're on that front porch um, of the Lord. We come to a place of rest. We come to a place of reprieve, reprieve, um, a place of joy. That's what I think of, um, you know, when anybody's designing a house in the South and in, in our family, at least you're always like, but how big's the porch, right? <laughs> room for that. But it's because that place is uh, almost central to how we live. And, you know, and again, hospitality. I think yeah. yes, hospitality, mm-hmm. just think about all that's wrapped up just in the context of the scripture. So it's huge. It's, it's a big invitation to us. Wow. I love the richness of all the symbolism. Thank you for unpacking that yeah, absolutely. for us. Um, one, one of the things I find interesting is that the man seemed to have a preconceived idea about what would be needed for him mm-hmm. to heal. Yes, it's almost yes. kind of a, an excuse or a, a reason yeah. why it wasn't happening. And, and Jesus had mm-hmm. other plans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is true. He, he does. I, I, you bring that up because, you know, often 
we have this set idea of this is how everything goes. Mm-hmm. And, but the Lord is so much, cre- is so much more creative than just doing everything the same way every single time. Um, and he has so many ways of, of making things personal for us, not just cookie cutter, one size fits all. The Lord is very personal. That's right. mm-hmm. Yes. We had Brooke and I had a fun time drawing that out when we talked about the, the O of opening your heart mm. to all the new things mm-hmm. that God's doing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, um, making mm-hmm. way in the desert. And yes. It, it is so true. It's, it's, um, we have an endlessly creative God that's just opening up possibilities for us. It's mm-hmm. a matter of being open in our heart to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Brooke, I know, I'm sure you have more thoughts. <laughs> Do you want to share with us around this passage? Sure. sure. Yeah. So I think a couple of things um, stood out to me. One is I see in this passage, just a, a contrast between human effort and the divine, you know, this, this man's answer um, just reveals that he was doing what he could or making his best effort, you know, what he knew to do. Mm -hmm. He was coming to the pool. He was trying to get down into the pool, but was just falling short and was, was essentially finding himself stuck in his circumstance over and over and over again. And then here walks in divine help, divine intervention. And I think there's times in our lives where we do all we know to do, yet we still feel stuck. We, we reach our human limitations and it's in that place that we must choose to place our trust in the divine one, in the person of Jesus Christ to help us to overcome those limitations. So I just love the clear contrast there between just that, um, what is that word for, um, where two things collide, a collision, Paradox. the collision mm-hmm. of the, the human mm-hmm. effort and limitation and then the divine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that really stood out to me. And I think I can relate to that. I can relate to that feeling of feeling limited and stuck and just having that desperation of, okay, God, I don't know what else to do. I've reached my mm-hmm. max here and I need, I'm in need of you to swoop in and, <laughs> you know, help here. Um, and then the second thing um, is just the closed mindedness, particularly of the, the Pharisees, um, you know, they were oh so gosh, judgmental yes. toward Jesus for healing on the Sabbath mm-hmm. yet. If, if we didn't read all the way through the end of that chapter, but if just a few verses later, you know, it says that they were plotting to kill Jesus. They started plotting to kill Jesus after they found out that he was the one who healed this man. And I just find that really ironic that they're like, (laughs) you may not heal anyone, but it's totally okay that we sit here and plot your death, you know, on the Sabbath, on this most holy restful day. Um, And they just completely missed the value of the miracle. Like they didn't even celebrate that this man was free of his infirmity, that he had a brand new uh, opportunity at life. Instead, they just were so stuck on this. Well, he broke the rules. And 
I think we can miss what God has for us if we allow ourselves to fall into this religious box um, and and not look at the opportunities that are that are before us in Jesus. And and again, uh, kind of disassemble the box that we may have built about how we expect things to play out and how we expect Him mm-hmm. to come through for us. And if we will just open ourselves up and celebrate what He's doing in our lives. Well, that is good news about uh, when we reach the end of ourselves. And I, I know, at least in my case, I wish uh, I wish I would come to that conclusion a little sooner. Yeah. <laughs> part of a, the curse of being uh, driven and capable is that, you know, I do tend to take on a lot of things and and put forth effort in trying to make things happen on my own. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting, I'm getting the message. (laughs) Um, It doesn't have to be so hard. You don't have to push through and try to make everything happen on your own, that it's just a, a wonderful relief to know that we have this God that's so very capable and cares and has as a solution that uh, we don't have to work for, <laughs> that, yeah. that uh, we can um, just surrender to that. So thank you for highlighting that, Brooke. Absolutely. I really want to dig in a little bit more into the things in our lives that prevent us from saying yes to God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fully, I, I think yeah. that... we can sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we've uh, said yes and and on a superficial level, but there are, there are many ways that we self-sabotage and and things that uh, keep us from giving our full wholehearted yes to God and Mm -hmm. wanting to get both of your uh, perspective on that. And, um, you know, just share about how, how we can overcome those things that, uh, hindrances that are holding us back. Yeah. Well, you want me to jump in Lucas or. I mean, yeah, if you want to, I would just think about our, our pre pre-recording conversation just a little bit. Um, you know, there was, go ahead. What, what's your thoughts first? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> ladies first, like we're teaching Samuel, right? There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, honestly, my thought is that this is, I guess the, what keeps us, what impedes us from really saying yes to God is fear. Um, I call it the fear of the S words, <laughs> like little Christian cuss words um, that we, we kind of <laughs> have. And that I don't know is- those. Can you tell me what they are? <laughs> So the two S words being surrender and sacrifice. And I think the, the fear is ultimately derived from a misunderstanding of God's goodness um, and his sovereignty. Uh, I think lurking kind of in the chambers of our heart is this um, jury's out mentality where we're just not quite sure that he can, you know, really be that good. Or we're just not quite sure that we can trust him with this area of our life. And to overcome that fear, 
that's associated with surrendering our lives and like what Romans 12 talks about offering ourselves, our bodies, all of who we are, how we think, what we think, you know, being the living sacrifices (laughs) is that we must believe that God is good and that he does good. You know, um, it's foundational in our faith that we understand that goodness originated in God. God is yes. good. It is, mm-hmm. it is his character. And um, Psalm 119, uh, 68 just says it just beautifully. It says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. And I love yes. that it's followed with that desire. Teach me, teach me your decrees, teach me to understand and to know your goodness. Um, and then, you know, we have the promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 about God saying, I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you, not to harm you, you know, plans for, um, a prosperous future. And so trusting that he is good and that he does good and applying that to our personal lives and going, okay, well, if he is good and he does good, then I know the plans that he has for me, the twist and turns of my, the path of my life, he's only going to be working good through that. Um, so I think that's key to helping us overcome the fear of surrender. And, you know, I was thinking about, I had a a personal confrontation with this fear of surrender many years ago um, in our newlywed years. Although I say that cautiously because Lucas and I have a um, ongoing, I don't know if you would really call it a joke, but we still (laughs) say that we're newlyweds because, um, (laughs) you know, just felt like we've been on a, a almost 15 year date of just, you know, um, enjoying life married and it hasn't worn off the, um, on wonder of, of being together. So, That's but I so guess lovely. Our- <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> we'll have to have another episode telling us how you do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I guess when we were newly, newlyweds, um, <laughs> I had a, a dream and this dream actually confronted me, um, and my, my fears, but in the dream, basically Lucas and I were, were in this, um, beautiful small field that was on the edge of a wooded forest. And there was this path that you could see leading into the woods. And so Lucas extended his hand to me and off we started running through this, this beautiful, a wooded path and the path was windy and we were just flying. I'm talking about, we were running with such speed. What is that? What is that type of antelope or, or gazelle? Is that, is it a gazelle? Okay. Yes. Gazelle. <laughs> she, lo- she loves that scripture. Yes. Yes. So yes, we were like gazelles on this windy <laughs> path and it was so exhilarating. Cause I'm not gazelle like in my speed. At all. <laughs> we're just going along speedily along. And then the path just abruptly ends to reveal this, the steep, uh, steep cliff side. And so, you know how it is in dreams, um, where you just feel like time slows down for a moment and there's like the suspended, um, like experience going. So we're going super fast, but then the path 
just abruptly ends. And I look over to Lucas and it's like, we're just suspended midair for a second. And I looked to him and I said, did you know this was going to happen? (laughs) And he didn't answer me, but he looked at me, you know, just like those, that deep look in the eyes and the expression on his face was just so calm and so serene, so confident. And his, the look that he gave me was just speaking into my soul. Trust me, it's going to be okay. And then it was like, immediately after that, we were no longer suspended. We were falling. And I mean, the sensation of falling fast and long was happening in this dream. I mean, I had the the butterflies in the stomach, that, that weird feeling. And I was just bracing myself for this rough landing. I mean, I think I was just in the dream thinking like, well, this is it. You know? <laughs> and then we hit the ground. And when we hit the ground, to my amazement, it was like I fell into a soft pillow or, or this plush mattress. Mm-hmm. And then that was the end of the dream. And at the time that that dream came, I was facing a lot of fear about my future and about my purpose. And I was really wrestling with that. And I believe God gave me that dream to assure me that he had a plan and I could trust where he was leading, that I could give my yes, you know, to the invitation to adventure with him and that he would keep me in his grip, just like I was gripped to Lucas the whole time running through on that path. And even with the fall that he was not going to, to leave me, but he was going to be right with me through it all. And that he indeed did know what was ahead and it was going to be okay. So that was a very, um, you know, comforting dream for me and, um, spoke a lot about God's character and his goodness and, and helped me to overcome my fear of surrender. And just again, placing that trust in him and said, okay, it's going to be okay. I don't have to carry this fear of the future anymore. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it does get easier when we have experiences where we we feel that you know kind of sense of being caught and and uh shielded and comforted even even through scary um and what what we can perceive as negative mm-hmm. experiences and then we can look back and and that builds our faith over time for sure. Yes. Uh, I, although I do suffer from spiritual amnesia from time to time. <laughs> You're in good company, Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. goodness. Well, that, what a beautiful story. Um, Lucas, wh- what do you think about your role in this dream? <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> I think I've, I've probably said that once or twice, you know, I, I mean, the Lord did a lot of transforming in our lives. Um, we lived in this little barn apartment uh, is attached to my parents' barn for 10 years. We raised two of our, uh, two of our kids in there uh, through their early years. Mm-hmm. And what started out as a place of like, man, grumbling and complaining, when are we ever going to have our own place and all this type of stuff getting into that. And the Lord one day just saying, um, are you grateful? Are you thankful? And I think what, what kind of even like going what what Brooke has uh, even talked about, like with our marriage is we, we went through a period where the Lord really taught us thankfulness, gratefulness, 
and steered our heart in that direction. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you what, once we got a hold of that, things, things kind of took off in our lives. Not in this like, not in this way that it's out there in front of everybody. It's not like all of a sudden we had a ministry of 300 people and all of a sudden we had book deals and all that stuff that people have this weird idea that somehow that's success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was our personal lives. It was things that were behind the scenes that we started to see fulfillment yeah. and answers of. And the um, repentance. The, oh my gosh. Yeah, yes. We had to go through that. The, the Lord took us through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but to kind of go back to your point, Brooke, and then I want to segue back to the scripture about the sacrifice um, is people have this, still have that weird idea that for me to sacrifice to the Lord is going to mean all these things where each person's sacrifice that the Lord asks of you, one, it's individual and it's incremental. Mm. The Lord does not just start out and say, here, this is what I want you to do. Just FYI, you're going to lose this, 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 this. I mean, we start thinking mm -hmm. about the list of loss when we think about sacrifice rather than thinking about um, what we gain with sacrifice and that the Lord just doesn't, you know, again, always say, and I want you to go ahead and sacrifice all these things that are good, that, that I'm going to, I want you to do it up front for the next 30 years. The Lord is very, in his loving kindness, patient to do a little at a time. Mm -hmm. He takes us to a deeper level where those things, the, the more that we submit to the process of the Lord, those things actually become a little bit easier to do. Um, but to go back to the scripture, the I, I kind of made light of this earlier, but in all seriousness, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And we, as the readers would even go, well, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean, what do you want to be well? That's where he's at. Um, but just because you're in need doesn't necessarily mean that you always want change. Um, I think we see this around us all the time. I, and I'm going to go ahead and just put myself right out there. So being, being a physical, uh, I've always been in physical labor. Um, I do a lot of physical work. I enjoy that type of work. But it's, it's kind of had its toll on my body in some ways. And so over the last several years, I've had issues with like lower back and things like that. And and I remember uh, going to see my doctor and he said, I want you to start doing a series of stretches. You know, we're not at the point where we didn't even need to talk about surgery. Da, da, da. Just the mention of him saying, I want you to do stretches. And I'm like, come on, man. Really? <laughs> stretches. Now, but I'm also not a pill popper. Like, I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe like, hey, just give me something. Just give me something. I, 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 don't give me fast food medicine. But, you know, that's kind of where we've come to. And it's only been until recently where I've had to ask myself the hard question, do I want to be well? Mm -hmm. Do I, do I, do I want to deal with this? Do I want to, I, I, I'm an outdoorsman too. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I love to hunt and fish. I love to hike. Uh, I love to bust firewood in the fall. Um, and as my kids are growing, growing up and starting to engage in those things with me, the question is not just, do I want to be well, but do I want to be well so that they can enjoy time with their dad and I can enjoy time with them for as long as possible and not just be like, well, I'm sorry, I can't because, you know, I've got a herniated disc or I, or I just wouldn't do the simple, I wouldn't do the stretches over here that would give me the time and possibly bring healing. There might be some other things that need to be addressed, but, you know, I, I realize that Jesus is asking all of us the same question. Do you want to be well? And if we, if we 
bring this just to physical health. Um, for me, it's if I want to be well, then I probably need to start doing these things. So the last two weeks, as Brooke has been faithful, she gets up and she works out. I'm like, I'm stretching. I'm going to start stretching. And I've got to do this because if I, if, if I say that I want to be well, if I say that I want to be well, but then I'm not really going to take the wisdom and advice of people who are around me to say, this is where you need to start. Um, then I would be no different than that guy saying, I don't have anybody that can help me in. Like the healers here. Do you want to be well? Yes, but it's on somebody else's responsibility. Um, now, granted, he was paralyzed. He literally could not get in. But in our in our ways, we paralyze ourselves by excusing our actions. As, as you asked this question about self-sabotage, years ago, uh, we were asked to pray for an individual in our church for healing for diabetes. And now diabetes is complicated, and I get that. Um, but I just had this sense to ask them this question from the Lord. Are you going to be willing to change your diet? And they kind of looked at me stunned. And I said, because I can pray for you and the Holy Spirit can heal you instantaneously from diabetes. But I, I knew these people's diets and, and I knew that they're drinking a lot of soda. I knew that they're eating a lot of foods that are not good for them and things like this. And just the Holy Spirit just asked me to ask them that. And they said, well, I don't know. And I said, because you, you know that this is dietary related for you. Yeah, it's not. It's not genetic. It's, it's definitely diet. My doctors told me that. But it was, I just want to be healed. I just want the instantaneous thing without. But Jesus is asking us, do you really want to be healed? Because if you really want to be healed, and in their case, it means there's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be a little bit of change here. If you want to see some shift in your life, it is actually going to require more than just a genie in the bottle moment with Jesus. There may be some things that come around to say, if I want to have, um, if I want to be healthier longer, just physically, then there's some things I'm going to have to do. Yes, the Holy Spirit can heal me right now, some things, but my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is. That means I'm charged with taking care of that temple. You, you will look at Romans 12. Everybody loves to quote that. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Note to all of us that it did not say we offer our spirit or our soul as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a living mm -hmm. sacrifice. So if our desire is to serve the Lord with all of our heart and soul, then our body needs to be able to take us along for that ride. And if our mm -hmm. body is the limiter for it, we will find ourselves being in a place where we're dissatisfied with decisions from the past. Where, like you say, we, we kind of self-sabotaged and maybe have not taken, Brooke, you mentioned earlier, wisdom and added that to uh, power and grace and mercy and all those things like wisdom and faith have to be combined. Um, and I think that's what the Lord's doing in a lot of us right now to help prevent self-sabotage. So for me, it is that thing of when the Lord speaks into your life from somebody wisdom, sometimes the biggest sacrifice is saying, okay, I'll do it. I, I, I just listened to a podcast with a guy that does, um, ultra, not marathons. What's the thing where you bikes ride and swim, a triathlon, triathlon. these ultras. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, listen to it as I'm mowing, as I'm mowing grass on my riding lawnmower. I'm like, I am such a slug. <laughs> I'm such a slug. <laughs> but this guy does these ultra runs in the mountains and it takes two and three days to do them. And they're well over a hundred miles that he runs. And they said, you know, when you train and he has a day job, he's a day job guy. They said, when you train, 
um, you know, how do you train for something like that? He goes, well, I try to run a marathon a day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's superhuman. So I thought, yeah. so to kind of I close agree. out my thoughts on this, my thought was <laughs> this guy shows such a, a great deal of discipline because he sees this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're telling our kids this, Cindy, and I know you, you've told this to your children and, and clients, like, if this is what you want, you have to make this decision to go forward and make those changes. So for him, it's getting up at 2 a.m. and he starts running. When it comes lunchtime at work, he, he goes out and does some more. And he says, and if I still haven't finished, I get home from work and I finish my marathon before I do anything else. And I thought, my goodness, like the focus mm-hmm. that he puts into this. And so Jesus is asking us, do you really want to be well? Because if you do, there's going to be just some decisions that require faith and wisdom. His first thing was faith. Jesus wanted to heal the guy. Jesus knew the guy was paralyzed. Jesus knew everything about that guy, but he wanted to hear out of his mouth. Yes, I want to be well. And when we say, yes, I want to be, then it's like, okay, well, you know what? We need to pursue either supernatural healing, or there may be some things that God has called you to do in the physical and in the practical. And the worst thing that we can do is sabotage ourselves by just, wow. It's just not going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody to help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, goodness. Um, Lucas, when I think back on your story, I, I love that you uh, gave God a year without dating just so you can focus on him. And, and for me, that is just symbolic of what he's calling all of us <laughs> to do is to yeah. focus on him. It's like, where, where are we focusing, you know, for, for the man who's obsessed with ultra marathons or ultra triathlons <laughs> yeah. his focus, Not his for me. singular focus, but, um, <laughs> and I think that, uh, what, what God's been teaching me that has, been a hindrance is, is another S word, (laughs) the sin, (laughs) sin word as uh, the concept that, you know, all sorts of things, not just fear, fear certainly is a big one that causes us to get caught up in our heads, but um, Mm -hmm. also uh, laziness and pride and Mm. self-reliance and Mm. All sorts of ouch, fears ouch, he's ouch. pointed out to me <laughs> is keeping me from, from giving him my full yes, my full attention yeah. and focus. And so, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here and especially Lucas for sharing your story. Absolutely. And it's just been so lovely. I, I hope that you'll be willing to do this again at sure. some point sure. in the future. It'd be really fun to get, um, you know, to go deeper on some of these spiritual topics with you. And it's just, uh, I love, love all your insights and you two are very inspiring um, as a couple. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners, and I'd love to hear any kind of question you have for us around the topics of health or spirituality or definitely at the intersection of those two. And we're going to do our best to answer you on future podcasts. So send us your questions. You can email us at 
thejoyprescription at gmail.com or give us a call. We have a question line at 828-412-0599. In the meantime, we just invite you to go out and do that one new thing that brings you joy today. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Bye, Brooke. Bye, Bye -bye. Lucas. Thank you so much. See you. You've been listening to the Joy Prescription Podcast, where we explore the intersection of lifestyle medicine, brain health, and Christianity. We invite you to take your learning deeper with us at thejoyprescription.com. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter and receive free weekly Joy Prescription devotionals. Bye for now.